My favorite relationships are the relationships where you get a mutual respect. Their expertise is this, and my expertise is plumbing, and I want them to respect that. I have a ton of experience, and we've been through mistakes, and we've done those things, and let us do our thing. I think too many times you get into a situation where there's too many cooks in the kitchen, too many people dictating how things should go. Our best work is with the guys who respect us and give us what we need to be successful. That's huge. Welcome to episode 117 of the AFT Construction Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Levitt. And in this episode, I speak with Justin Bowie, who is the owner of J-Max Plumbing and Mechanical. And I really wanted to have Justin on because as a trade partner, someone who specializes in pool plumbing, and you think about that industry, how valuable that can be. And we went into depth about his experience and the value of working for a contractor, understanding the business, and just the value that comes from the field of construction and how you can build a career and be a thought leader in your industry and how important it is to market yourself on a national level and how that can benefit you on a local level. And then how he's learned the, the technical side of his business. And now through that, started his own educational system, right? For those that want to come into the trades, as well as educating us, you know, the superintendent, the general contractor. And Justin has a wealth of knowledge, how to build a successful business and how to work with clients and set protocol and how, if he were to start his business today, where would he start? So without further ado, let's get started. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast. I'm Brad Levitt. And today we have Justin Bowie on. Welcome, Justin. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you. So Justin, just a quick background. He's the owner of J Maximum Pool. Um, in fact, he does all of our pool plumbing, all of our undergrounds, and does phenomenal work, which we'll get into. And he also works with a lot of top pool builders in the Phoenix area, including uh, Premier Paradise, who we're doing a lot with. So yeah. We go back for a long time, Justin. I've been impressed by your work and it's different, you know, this episode because, you know, a lot of times I dive right into the entrepreneurship side, which we'll get into. But for you, this is really unique, right? For anyone that thinks about a specialty in the trades, right? And uh, there's value there, especially for you as a, as a builder, contractor. How did you get started in pool plumbing? Because that's not really common for most people. <laughs> yeah. So I'm from Maryland. I'm from the East Coast. And growing up, my father was a home builder. So it's, ever since I was very little, I've been around home building. As a matter of fact, where I'm from, most kids take an early day from high school and they go work. So I worked on a framing crew. I worked for um, my best friend's dad, who was also friends with my dad, and he was also a home builder. We learned how to do um, everything from framing, trim carpentry. We did hardwood floors, painting, did everything, windows, doors. So that's where I got my start. And I was very young. I did that all the way through um, the end of high school. And then I moved to Arizona to go to school. I wanted to get into the Dell Webb School of Construction. Mm -hmm. So I just started out at community college. I was never really great in school. While I was in uh, school, I met a guy who had a cleaning business, pool cleaning. Got into pool cleaning with him. And it was like, to me, it was totally foreign. There's no pools in Maryland. Yeah. Not many people are swimming in Maryland no. all the time. So it was cool to see, and, and um, I actually saw a crew plumbing a pool, and it was like, it clicked to me. I knew I wanted to have my own business because my father always had his own company. So when I saw these guys doing an installation for swimming pool plumbing, I was like, I think I could do that. And it was really that easy. And my dad, who he worked for Toll Brothers here, had a connection with Steve Ast and connected me to Steve, and then I got through to Shasta, and that's how I got my start. So, so having worked, you know, doing pool cleaning and then you saw the pool plumbing aspect, mm -hmm. did you end up working for a plumbing company or did you just start your own right away? No, I actually started at the very bottom uh, for another plumbing company in the Valley. It's actually the biggest 
plumber in the valley. Started at the very bottom, worked my way up to a crew. I had my own crew after a year and a half, and then I was one of his best crews, maybe even his best crew for five, six years, and then he invited me in as his general manager. So I became his general manager. He took a big step back, and uh, I took uh, pretty much took the reins. He wasn't didn't have any technology in his business. You know, I added a bunch of processes for him. We were super successful, and then the economic downturn hit, and that's when I made my break. It was just there wasn't room for two of us at that point. So this is the recession then, two thousand eight right. nine in Phoenix. Yep. So up to that point, how long had you been working then? Uh, you know, running your own crew and then general manager. So I think it was ended up twelve years. It was ninety eight to oh, two wow. to so, two thousand ten. Yeah. yeah. So I did about half half of my life with him was in the field, and the other half was in his office. So let me ask you this, because one of the questions I get a lot, especially from those that listen is, you know, when you think about getting into construction, whether it be, you know, in the trades, whether it be as a general contractor, you know, specialist such as yourself in the pool side, you know, a lot of people want to go off on their own. You know, it's, uh, you know, the barrier to enter and start a business is fairly easy compared to other businesses, right? Because you need a license, you need experience to some extent. You know, do you find value that you went and worked for a company, learn the business? as opposed to just starting J-Max Plumbing from day one? Absolutely. There are things that I learned there, indirectly learned, just by being around him, seeing things that he did, and it kind of like made me develop my management style. And you learn all the things on someone else's dime, which is, you know, great. Like to make those mistakes on your own would be, and I, I made a ton <laughs> of mistakes. Catastrophic in some. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I made a ton of mistakes on his dime. So yeah, it was absolutely a great experience and a great way for me to start, I think. So how did you figure out you love it? I mean, one of those things is to be successful, like you have to be passionate about it, right? And what's really tricky about, you know, for you and your business being in the plumbing, I mean, you have to understand the business side, you know? So did you find yourself more passionate on the business side, on the trade side, the install side? Yeah. You know, how has that evolved now to where you are today? I, I started loving the working with my hands. I loved to build stuff. I was really fortunate to have some guys that taught me from a young age, um, good work ethic and how to have pride in your work and how to always do a good job, you know, make sure you're, you don't leave until it's right. So the business side came later. I found it, you know, exciting to go in and make processes and train guys. And then you get like a good product. It's like, you know, if you're really good in the field and you're good at your trade and then you can train three guys, that feeling is amazing to have three guys that can go out and put out your standard of work. So that's when that got really interesting to me. But it started completely with just loving to work with my hands and be in the trades. That was really it. And before you started J-Max, were you involved in setting up that training or was this really when you started your own enterprise that it's like, okay, I need to figure out how to train and you know, especially as you start growing, you know, to make sure that they're a good representative of you, Justin. Yeah. I didn't start any formal training programs until I started J-Max. Um, and as a matter of fact, it took me years to even do that at J-Max because I was still in the field. Like Mm -hmm. when I started my company, it was just me and got, and a couple helpers. So, um, the company that I came from before was a great big company. They were married to Shasta pools and some of the other really big builders. So they were going to be successful just by a relationship. And, and going back to when you go to start on your own, I mean, looking back now, I'm sure there's a lot you just don't know what you don't know, right? When right. you start a company. Yeah. So looking back now, if you were to go back and start J-Max today, you know, what would have been different process-wise or banking or mm-hmm. marketing? You know, what are some things that were some pain points early on that you're like, I wish I'd have known that even though I'd worked for someone else before? Yeah. I think one of the major heartaches for me initially was having working capital. 
you know, right, right out of the gate, I got connected to some builders who tanked and, you know, it, it was totally devastating to me as a new business, you know, so I think having a little bit more understanding of working capital and where you go for those things and having that would have been great, you know, and then I, I think investing in training is another thing that I wish that I would have put into place training earlier in the business instead of later. I think, um, you know, that's like an investment that is pays you tenfold, you know. And it's really hard to do that. You know, when you speak to really good CEOs and entrepreneurs, they always say, you know, you need to be spending, especially you as the owner, a majority of your time on the business, not in the business, right? Right. When you're in construction, it's really difficult. Or if you're in interior design or architecture, because you're trying to wear all these hats, you're doing anything, you're doing sales, you're doing marketing, you're doing installs, you're on the field. And when you're on the field, you know how it is, you can't just have your phone on you. And so it's, Right. You know, that's really difficult, but the value is if you can focus on the business set, you know, protocol, even if it's you mm-hmm. like, okay, Justin, I'm out there and I, here's ABC to do a successful install for underground plumbing for a pool. And as I document that now as people, as I start to grow the business, hire someone, you know, it's a lot easier to outline them and then let them, you know, let them off the leash, if you will. Yeah, that's right. So from your side, what's really interesting, Justin, is you started your company in the recession. And so when you talk about working capital, were there lessons you learned the hard way? I know I did. I started not as early as you did. I started my company officially March of 2013. So I was kind of leaving the recession, mm-hmm. but it's still challenging because there were issues with clients and dollars and it was still a tough time in the industry at that point. But for you, where you're aligned to builders, how do you protect yourself now, whether it be billing or deposits or you know, to make sure that the draws are in a timely manner to keep the cash flow where it needs to be? Yeah. So at, at the level that we're at and the, in the trade that we're in, it's not as professional as some other trades. So we we drafted our own contracts and subcontractor agreements that we tried to push out and just kind of make everybody aware of like, look, these are our terms. Um, this is what our business is capable of doing for you. And this is what we expect in return. Um, to be honest with you, it wasn't very well received. Nobody likes to get a packet probably from their <laughs> subcontractor. But um, that was... Almost immediately after we had some of those failures where we didn't get paid and companies went out, we started doing that and trying to keep AR. Because what happens to trades, it's terrible, but what happens when a company starts to get distressed is they run your AR up to 45, 60 days, 120 days, and then you call them and you say, I'm going to cut you off. Like, this is it. And they go, well, then I can't pay you because if I can't get jobs done, I can't pay you. So you get stuck in this trap. Mm -hmm. So the, the key is trying to get the money under, you know, whatever your terms that you're comfortable with, 21, 30 days and, and stay honest with yourself and be like, look, don't do any more work for this guy now. Cause if he's going to string us out at 45, he's going to string us out at 120 and then we're really screwed. So that, that was an important lesson for us. Early. Well, it, and it's really good advice, really sound advice because, you know, from the trade partner relationship, um, a lot of times you're not working maybe at the general contractor level or at the pool builder level where they're bigger draws. And so, you know, cash flow becomes key, right? You have to pay your people that yep. are hourly. So that cash is, you know, checks are due every Friday or however you're paying your people. You have the suppliers that are dictating their terms on you. So how do you push back on, uh, we'll say GC or pool builder that's hiring you as a subcontractor and you're saying, okay, well, I have these terms and they may not want to sign your agreement. They may have their own subcontracting agreement. I mean, how have you navigated that? That's exactly right. Sometimes they'll counter with their own agreement and you really, you just take a look at it. Like, is this worth it? Whatever their terms are, you just explore them and then see, is this worth it? Do I think this could make sense? 
we've definitely been handed some agreements sometimes that I'm really uncomfortable with because, you know, lawyers write agreements mm-hmm. and they sound pretty harsh usually. But um, yeah, I mean, just, just trying to talk to them and then kind of weigh out what is the potential of this relationship and is it worth it? Yeah, that's tough. And so how, you know, going back to the pool side, and this is really interesting to me because one of the value adds I felt having you on the podcast today is for me, I'm in the general construction business, right? And so, you know, I understand the business from my perspective as a GC and the pain points I have and good trade partners. But I think the value is really understand that feedback from someone such as yourself. I mean, you're working for companies such as mine, you're working for pool builders, you know, what separates, you know, good clients from bad ones? Because you're not working with the direct consumer. You're working with me, the general contractor, the pool builder, and you work with a lot. So what makes good ones stand out to you? My favorite relationships are the relationships where you get a mutual respect, where it's, you know, you're, you know, if, if I'm dealing with a general contractor or somebody, it's, you know, their, their expertise is this and my expertise is plumbing. And, and I want them to respect that. I have a ton of experience and we've been through mistakes and we've done those things and let us do our thing. I think too many times you get into a situation where there's too many cooks in the kitchen, too many people dictating how things should go. And um, I always use this analogy, like as a general contractor, you're like, imagine you invite a chef into your kitchen and you tell him to make you a steak, but you haven't given him a knife. You haven't given him a pan. So what kind of steak do you expect, right? Our best work is with the guys who respect us and give us what we need to be successful. That's huge. We work for some contractors who don't do any of that. They just give you the stuff and you're supposed to go out there and make chicken salad <laughs> out of chicken shit. And it's, it sucks. I hate, there's so many regrets in my career where I've looked back and gone, I should have just pulled out of there. Shouldn't have put my name on it. So. So how, you know, as you look at that, what's interesting is, and without calling out any of your clients or customers by name, of course, yeah. but I'm sure there's a distinction because some are, I would imagine, more organized with their schedule. Hey, Justin, we need you and your company at X date. We're actually going to be ready. And some, they're not ready and they continually let you down, which now yeah. creates some challenges for you because you're scheduling your team, your manpower accordingly. You know, so how do you navigate just that communication, the scheduling, which especially right now where you're super busy. Yeah. So I have a general manager who, who helps me with this, but we have almost like a process that when we take a job, we try and communicate and get this information from them ahead of time. So it's a, just a ton of communication with them and trying to check all the boxes before we start the project. Um, if that, any of that information is missing, that would slow us down in the field or create a mistake. We try and catch it before we even get there. So. So when you, let's talk about that. So when you're uh, approached on a new project, right? A new pool, what goes into your scope of work? What are you responsible for? You know, how does that process go? What's your duration, your liability? Mm -hmm. So it starts with a solid hydraulic design, um, whether the builder's providing it, you know, some guys, like you, you said, Jeremy, they provide their own hydraulics, but if it's a builder who's maybe not that savvy, first thing we start with is a, is a hydraulic plan make sure that we've um, made provisions for everything that there's going to be, if there's features or there's a special turnover rate or what have you. So that's the first thing that we do. And then we build from there a plan set for our guys internally so that they can go out and do it right. And so th- if I interrupt you real quick, Jess, and maybe we explain this too for those listening, is that what what is the purpose of you know the hydraulic design? Because 
you know, most people think of pools in the past where they may be putting in, you know, a vacuum that's just going around. But right. what's different now is most of the pools, I would imagine all the pools you're doing have in-floor cleaning. And so that is dictated on location, yeah. hydraulics, and, you know, to make sure the pool self-cleans. That's right. It's not like it was when, even when I started in, in the early 2000s, the pools have evolved. Plumbing is, was always important, but it's tenfold more important now because there's so much going on in these pools. The pools, like I'm sure you've seen there, people have a huge appetite for a crazy pool. Especially seems, in Phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little hot. And it's, yeah. And it seems like their budgets can support it because some of the pools we're building are astronomically expensive. So it's, <laughs> it's crazy. And, it, and so why is that? I mean, is, is there a value? Why, how have you seen the technology change and specific to, you know, self-cleaning, you know, heads that pop up, they rotate, you know, at different uh, parts of the pool. Yeah. So that's, I would call that, you know, a mechanical part of it. That's changed. It's gone from a vacuum and pressure cleaners to in-floor. And now that's the most popular. But the main thing I've seen change that affects us is the types of pools. You know, if you look at what was being built in the early 2000s, they were all standard four-inch coping deck, you know, kidney beans mostly, you know, mm -hmm. maybe throwing a Baja. Now, there are these big perimeter overflows, they're negative edges, they have surge tanks. I mean, it's a totally different environment than when I started. I love it because that's what I like, but um, it's totally different. The technology, or I guess I shouldn't even say technology, but the aesthetics of pools are really pushing what we have to do to make them do what they're supposed to do. And then when you throw in, you know, lazy rivers, or as you mentioned, a Baja shelf, you know, and you have a diving area and then you have, you know, the hot tub and spawn. So there's all these different elements that have to work together. And as you mentioned, the negative edge or, you know, where it's like a 360 degree where the, the coping's flush with the pool, right? And you right. have a little drainage system. And so all these things impact your hydraulic design. Big time, big time, especially like you said, the perimeter overflows, they're not to be built by anybody who doesn't have the expertise. <laughs> so some of this comes with practice too, but how do you get to a level? Are you outsourcing that? So if, if a builder or pool builder comes to you, Justin, mm -hmm. and they're not as savvy as maybe Jeremy with Premier Paradise and they don't have the hydraulic design, is this something that you have enough knowledge now that, um, that capability where you can help design? Are you outsourcing to a consultant or engineer for the I, more complicated ones? I actually do it all myself. I actually consult myself for companies and, uh, Vegas, California. I did one for a project in New Jersey. So no, we definitely do it in-house. I love it. Not that I don't not I don't necessarily have any issues with Jeremy stuff, but everybody does something probably a little bit different. So it's great. I geek out when somebody says, "Hey, this is what I want the pool to do, make it happen." That's we do it in-house and I take a lot of pride in that. So and I believe I've seen like you have your own test systems too, right? Yeah. Have you built like mock-ups and test systems yep. to to run through your different formulas and you know, protocol, how you can do the install? Yeah. So what I was running into is as I started becoming educated, there's programs out there you can learn about hydraulics. There's some things that even though you know it's right, it's hard to explain and you want to be able to produce it in the field so you can really look at it and manipulate it. And so I built that test tank for just that reason. And, you know, that's like the cheap way to do stuff without screwing up a job, you know, do it there first. So yeah, that, that was a, a pretty cool tool that we had. And how often do you use that? Well, right now it, it needs an acrylic repair, but we pretty frequently, I mean, it depends on what's going on. It seems like you go hot and heavy for a while and then, you know, you're good, but, uh, but yeah, pretty frequently. So where can you go wrong? I mean, when you start looking at your liability or risk, right, we're mm -hmm. all managing risk in our job. 
you know, what are some things that can go wrong either in design or install or application that may not, not that you have these issues, but keep you up at night, bring you out to a job if there's issue. I mean, what are the, what are the stress factors? The main two things that we're looking at are when a project is done. Well, uh, let's start with a project starting. If you undersize any of the plumbing, you got to make sure you're covered on all that. That's the most important part of plumbing is making sure that you've sized everything correctly because the effects of that are energy loss and systems that don't do what they're supposed to do. Maybe aesthetically, they're not looking like they're supposed to. But the main thing after a pool's built, we get called for leaks all the time. Everybody instantly thinks of a plumber when there's water loss in the pool or a wet spot. So just defending our work after the fact is is a crazy amount of resources that we spend. So how do you, and this goes back to your systems, I'd imagine, and everyone has their protocol or SOPs, you know, operating procedures. But how do you what what's the QC process when you're doing the underground plumbing mm-hmm. to make sure, hey, we don't have any leaks because Especially just to put this in perspective for those listening, I mean, when you're doing these really complicated pools, Justin, and I know you have a couple coming for me, these are these are large surface areas, big backyards. Sometimes you run the pool equipment a long ways away. I know one you're gonna be doing for us in Gilbert, you know, you have everything underground, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not even accessible to the to the normal eye because of Lazy River and all these, you know, the pump stations and stuff. And so there there's a lot of QC there that gets covered up, you know, with these yeah. expensive pavers, expensive surfaces. Yep. And now you're on the hook. Yeah. That's why it's it's key for us before it goes into the field to do a, a thorough review, make sure everything's going to work, you know, work out the numbers. And then we just, we have to go in the field and make sure they do it like we asked them to do it or, you know, like we spec'd. Um, it's crazy. It's a, it's quite a process. The big ones I will say are a little bit easier because I touch those personally myself. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have a superintendent and then my general manager goes out on jobs too. But yeah, absolutely. We try and set them up with the plans to do it right. And then we follow through and make sure they did it like we asked. Now we're super excited. Welcome one of our new sponsors to the podcast, Pella Windows. And this is even more exciting because we use Pella in so many of our projects, nearly all of them. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relations with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their they're company culture, their integrity, their honesty you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra-contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. And now let's get back into the episode. So turnkey for you, what what is your responsibility and scope of work with a pool? Um, you know, are you, you know, you spoke about the hydraulic design. Mm-hmm. What else does that entail until pool completion? So we do all of the plumbing for every feature in the pool. If it's got a spa, we do all the therapies. If it's got water features, we do all of that. Um, Our scope pretty much ends on the mechanical side on that end of it. 
um, yeah, we carry, and that includes installing the equipment as well. And so what you mentioned this a little bit, you know, you have to make sure the sizing is, you know, the proper size, the mm-hmm. hydraulics are understood, you know, preventing leaks, you know, what are, you know, as you look about that, what are some other consequences that you've seen people in your field struggle with from the plumbing side? Yeah. The, one of the biggest ones is the undersized plumbing guys don't want to spend the money. It's expensive to do it right. Um, or, you know, they just don't well, have got- PVC is cheap prices going down every <laughs> month, which is nice. I think gold's cheaper by the pound right now. But um, yeah, guys that don't want to spend the money on it or maybe don't have guys qualified enough to do the big stuff. And what what they you end up seeing is pumps that take way more energy than they should because they're trying to defeat all the head of this system because it's all small plumbing. Um, and then, like I said, you have, and I, I actually have a video on YouTube about this, you get therapies that underperform because they're undersized or deck jets or whatever. And what sucks is some of the customers might not know that something's not working right if they've never had a pool before and just, you know, they assume that's how it should be, which really bums me out. But yeah, that, that's where you see it. So speak about this. I mean, I, I, I know this is not JMAX operation because you run a, a, a class operation, you know, but I'm sure you see peers that are maybe cutting corners on they may price it out per plan or scale back because of the profit margin. I mean, how often, you know, is this something where you're continually training your team on, on your process of things and where you see other people maybe jeopardize that? Yeah. So we try and do a, you know, a toolbox talk with our guys pretty frequently and say, Hey, look, there's some new products out or there's a, there's these things that we're seeing out there and they're not right. And this is how you do it. You got to kind of try and corral everybody and get them all on the same page. Um, I don't want to say we beat them over the head with it, but we, we but you re- have to essentially yeah, like consistency, right? Absolutely. You just got to stay on them. And um, yeah, that's how we just keep, keep drilling it into them. Now this is really fascinating to me because right now, and, and I allude to this a little bit, PVC pricing. I mean, PVC, is one of the um, the products that we've seen high escalation in pricing, right? Lumber was up, it came down, but PVC, copper, steel, right? Concrete, these are moving targets. And so for you, one thing I've seen too from a lot of our vendors outside of JMAX is they've struggled getting product and supply, right. you know, manage their supply chain. So how do you have such a leg up in this world where you haven't really suffered from getting the material need. I mean, of course there's a price associated that you have to evaluate, but you know, that that's part of the business, but how do you, how have you worked those vendor relationships? Um, I think having long standing relationships with my vendors has been the most, the most help, you know, the, my main vendor that I buy PVC pipe from, I've known him since I was, you know, 19 years old. So he gives us priority when they come to a shortage, they'll tell us, Hey, we got about eight lifts of pipe left and we're not going to sell it to this person. We're only going to give it to you. So fortunately those relationships have paid off 10, you know, tons. So how, you know, if you're giving advice or counsel to a young business owner, a young salesperson, you know, how do you get to that point where you have that leverage, that relationship with somebody that they're calling you to say, Hey, Justin, here's what's on the pipeline. Here's on the forecast. And that you've got to that, you know, that level of rapport with them. So I think it was our willingness to take on projects that were out of other people's uh, ability to do. I think that was one of the major things that made us successful. Never saying no, like figuring it out. I think that was great. And then I think being consistent with your um, quality is really important. You know, if you have one crew that sucks and that company sees that suck job, like they're going to remember that. So trying to really make sure we're consistent so that they're seeing the good work and, uh, and try and 
gain their trust, really. So how do you set expectations now uh, in this market where I'm calling you, Justin, saying, okay, we need this done. Here's the opening of our schedule. And I'm sure you have you know, a very um, tight timeline, right? You have a lot of requests. You have a lot of jobs. You limited. I don't want to say limited, but you have you know, you have a certain amount of employees. You can only have so much bandwidth, right? Like right. any company. So how are you setting expectations with all of your companies just on timelines? So unfortunately, you know, six months ago when it got really bad, we had to have that conversation with those guys. And, and basically what we said to them is, look, th- this is the circumstance. Labor's tight. Um, material's tight. We're going to do the best we can. We're going to try and give you 125% of whatever your production level was last year. And, and right now the weight is X and it could get worse. And I hate to say it like this, but what choice do they have? I mean, there's not a ton of guys that can do what we do, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a handful in the Valley that even do this. So, um, they've been pretty understanding, but yeah, having that hard talk with them absolutely beforehand was, was helpful. So then, you know, from your perspective, just thinking about, you know, and, and I'm sure as you've worked with, um, you know, the generals or the pool builders and they've set these expectations, you know, that's either going to do two things. It's either going to, um, damage a relationship or strengthen it, right? Right. That open communication. So how have you seen those relationships be strengthened, you know, in this challenging time of labor? And, and, and part of it is for you, I'm sure, is that you don't want to ramp up and just keep hiring because training, you don't want to lay them off. I mean, there's a fine line to how, how much do we ramp up to the demand to forecast and, you know, what's going to happen in the future? Yeah. That's something that's on my conscience a lot lately as we add vehicles and stuff to our fleet. Overhead. It's like, yeah, it's like, you know, building a church for Easter Sunday, right? Like, you, you know, it's not going to be like this every day. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, that's a definitely something that we think about. And you try not to overhire guys. And, and luckily right now there's no guys to get, so you can't really overhire. But, um, but yeah, staying grounded for sure. So how do you vet new GCs when they reach out? Hey, Justin. You know, we want you to come do our work. I mean, how, what's that protocol for you with a new vendor? Yeah, so it starts off with a talk. You know, you get to know them. You can kind of, I've been in the business long enough to kind of know what kind of pool builder there are. I feel like you could put every pool builder into like five categories and you, you figure out which one they are. And then if you have room for that type of relationship, um, it's a lot. This industry is so small, pool plumbing or, and pools in general is so small that you pretty much know people before you meet them. So just kind of get in front of them, talk to them and uh, figure out if they have the same values that you do. You know, one thing that that's always interesting to me, and I don't want to anyone to feel like I'm throwing shade, but what's interesting is as the economy is busy, right? A lot of people become realtors. A lot of people become general contractors or pool builders. Yeah. And so without realizing really the amount of work to be successful, right? The uh, amount of knowledge you need, protocol, understanding of the industry from in the construction industry, right? There's just a lot to it. And so on the pool building side, it has always um, fascinated me because it's there's so much liability in pools, right? There's so much risk and people, you know, what's tough for the consumers, like with most of us, they're looking for the cheapest bid, right? Hey, come to my pool, Justin, what's the cheapest bid? Without understanding all the risk associated if they don't have a good good pool builder, you know, all the issues at hand. And so do you ever find yourself counseling clients or the consumer, you know, again, navigating these waters with all the pool builders that reach out? I mean, you really have to be careful who you're tying your ship to. Yeah, that's right. You you get to know the guys who are no good for your reputation to be aligned with. Like you get to know who those guys are and you stay 
real far clear of those guys because um, there are a lot of guys that we have worked for. You show up to the job, customer hates them, everybody hates them, and it's a tough place to be in. You don't want to have your name tied to that. Do you ever get cornered from the clients themselves when you're on the site? You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got drilled by a, a superintendent for a, a commercial project we're doing. I walked on site, and this guy was just waiting to just rip somebody. It's like, everything's taking too long. You guys were supposed to be. I'm like, hey, I, this is the first day I've been here, man. Yeah. Like, doing the best I can, you know? Yeah, we've we've definitely gotten in the middle. Yeah, you're taking the fall because the pool superintendent's not there, so he's just looking for someone to yeah to raise it with. Yeah, been to there, been to that show a couple times. So you do a lot of video content, which I love. A lot of education. Where do you do you find value in you know being a thought leader? You know, building you know this online presence that you have. Yeah, I think it started as just um, me being proud of work uh, that we've done or exciting things that we've done, and what it's really evolved into is kind of like a visual standard for our guys to go look at and go, this is where I, I need to be doing stuff that's photograph worthy. I need to be really upholding the J Max brand, if you will. So I think it helps, you know, the guys get behind the guys and have them rally to it. And it's helped us too, because, you know, we're pretty popular on Instagram in our industry anyway, mm -hmm. relatively speaking. So um, we get a lot of respect out of default because of that. So it's been good. Well, it's interesting because, you know, as I speak with, you know, a lot of companies around the country, you know, and some on the podcast and, you know, a lot of them would push back and say, okay, Justin, you, you know, you're a mechanical subcontractor, right? You're doing pool plumbing. I mean, extremely specialized <laughs> aspect of the industry, right? Yeah. Not everyone has a pool and then those have pools, right? It, it's even more limited, you know, on just the understanding of the mechanical and plumbing portion, but yet you're spending this time on social media. And, you know, what's interesting is there is value for you. Hey, even though I'm only building in Arizona, there is value to people knowing about Justin Bowie and J-Max all throughout the country, right? Yeah. And because it, it really puts you, as you mentioned, a thought leader now consulting, you mentioned where, mm -hmm. hey, you have your own business here, but now you have opportunities to have an impact on the industry well outside your network. Yeah. It's been cool. Some of the, when we post some, some things, I'll get hits from the Philippines or Brazil and people are all interested. I love it because our industry is so small. There's not a bunch of people out there doing what we're doing, like in, in terms of putting stuff out there and everybody gets excited to see it. So it's pretty cool. And it, it psychs me out every time somebody hits me up and I can tell they're using like a translator to even talk to me <laughs> and it, it's freaking cool. It's really cool. So have you seen it uh, impact the business development arm of your company as well, you know, from other pool builders or GCs that see the work you're putting out there? Absolutely. Yeah, we get, yeah. And they, a lot of them will reach out through Instagram, um, which is cool. And they go, hey, I've seen your stuff. This is what I'm trying to do. And yeah, we get a lot of leads that way. It helps a lot. Even owner builders, you know, we, we don't do a ton of those, but the ones that I do do are usually the ones that talk to me on Instagram. So are you open to do an owner builder? Because when, when, <laughs> the reason I ask that is because a lot of trade partners, right? There's that fine line where they'd rather work Hey, for, you know, six, seven clients that are going to be, you know, residual, they're going to keep doing projects, have a relationship. Whereas the one-off one on occasion could be great, but it could also be uh, very challenging, right? You definitely have to hold their hand through it because, you know, most of them, it's the first pool they've ever built. I like it though. I think it's a nice change. And it's one of those situations, like I said earlier, that I really like where they just say, they don't have, they don't have a, a notion that they know more than me. They're going to trust us to do it. Those projects always go right for me because I'm in control of it. Don't have to worry about somebody else doing something that jeopardizes our work. 
Yeah, it's interesting because, uh, you know, if you're going to be working for a pool builder that maybe has their own set way or method, you know, a little bit more resistant to take Justin's advice, a client that, you know, you know, owner builder doing their own pool is going to be more receptive to your counsel and advice based on your experience. Definitely. And going back to what you said, if they've seen, you know, kind of like our Instagram and they understand this is what they can do, let me get out of their way. It's great. So do they ever involve you in the actual pool design and schematic, or is it typically just on the hydraulic portion? Yeah, just on the hydraulic portion. Typically, um, they don't ask for any opinion on the shape or anything. We will suggest to them certain features. You know, a lot of owner builders, when I talk to them, like, are you aware that there is this product or that product that looks cool? They'll, they'll take that kind of stuff from us, but not much on the um, actual design. So what ex- what excites you as far as you know getting in outside of just the the hydraulic and plumbing portion which you've uh, for lack of a better word have mastered here but you know when you get to see a pool some of the amenities that people are doing like what are some of the really neat projects you look back <laughs> and you're like I got to be part of that you know that for yeah. someone listening that maybe hasn't seen I mean what are some of like blow your mind options upgrades you've done so you know residential lazy rivers are always one that I'm excited to do it's crazy because to see people put that kind of commitment into their swimming pool experience is pretty nuts um but we've seen crazy stuff all the way we're working on a project right now that has a shark tank that touches the pool so, so I've heard about this project so walk yeah, us through this Yeah it's crazy so it, it's um basically the basement of the home was excavated out to have the tank border the basement it's got three sides of acrylic glass. So when you're in the basement, you're looking uh, into the shark tank. And when you're in the pool, the pool borders the other side, you're looking into the shark tanks. feels like you're swimming with them. <laughs> so all of the bottom of the pool is built like that. And then the upstairs is crazy. It's got a lazy river. There's a wave rider machine, which if you've ever been to a resort that has the machine, a you flow surf. Rider, yep. Yeah, flow rider. Um, it's got a go-kart track that tunnels underneath the lazy river. And there's glass panels in the bottom of the lazy river so that you can see from the golf court, uh, from the, uh, I'm sorry, from the go-kart up into the river. It's crazy. It's got a bumper boat area. You know, he's got a, every, everything you could imagine is on this job. It's so great. What, what prevents you, like if you're in the pool adjacent to the shark tank, what prevents you from going over the top or is there some protection there? Yeah, the top is higher than the pool level. Okay. So yeah, and and it's covered on the top. I heard there's a I heard there is an Dr. Evil hatch, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's a cool one. So I mean, when you get to do something like that, I mean, that's pretty fun, you know, just from uh uh, you know, a branding side, a resume side, but also just the fun, you know, how how challenging is that, is that to really go outside of your normal scope of work and do something that complicated and that intricate? So that one would have been a lot harder for us if we were dealing with all of the hydraulic design on that one. That particular project's Red Rock, so they're doing their own, um, and it's pretty easy to rely on them to do it right. So that one's not too bad, actually. Now, That's- tackling that on your own, that would probably be a month of us trying to figure out the plan. Right, because you're trying to figure out, you know, the pool to, you know, are you involved in the shark tank as well? We did all the life, well, the plumbing for the life support for the tank. Yeah, I actually did that myself. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, we don't spec the equipment, but right. we, we had to go in and install it. Do all the plumbing for it. Yep. That's, and then now I know you're going to be doing one for us. It's pretty fun, but not at that level, of course. Yeah. Um, You know, so what what's the duration on a project such as that? You know, how long does it take to plumb? And, and work through that process for, you know, a, a super project. Some of these big pools, I like that super project. Yeah. Some, of, some of these super projects are that pool. We will be there every bit of a year, maybe more during, you know, phased out, of mm-hmm. course. 
But I'd say some of our other bigger ones, you know, we're in there two, three weeks on the plumbing. That's big. If you talk to most of these other pool builders, like a day in and out, you can knock them out. But yeah, we've got several that two, three weeks, even had one that was a month long of plumbing so, and every how, day. How often do you get involved in the more technical side? I'll, I'll say like the soils report, the soils engineering to understand because, you know, working in Scottsdale mm-hmm. as opposed to working in Gilbert, you know, different soil types. How does that impact, you know, your ability and have you been burned just not bidding it properly? You know, if there's hard dig or yeah. trenching and trying to work through just the schematic of, of the install itself. Yeah, so we have been burned. Um, there was a couple projects in Paradise Valley where the soils reports came up bad, and then we installed all the plumbing. And I guess they didn't tell us ahead of time that it needed to be compacted. Trying to compact the floor of a pool once you have plumbing, and it's crazy. You know, Fountain Hills, you got to do it on every job. They do a compaction test, and then this particular uh, location. It was tough. We had to pull all the plumbing out, compact it, and then go back in and selectively put our lump. Yeah. Cause in. in paradise Valley, I mean, you have to do shading, right? So you have to over excavate yeah. and for shading, it's like putting a, a layer of sand down because of the soil type to prevent it from backfill and breaking the PVC, you know, from any rocks or debris. Yeah, that's right. So, and, and what another thing is interesting, cause I know you've done a lot of our pools and it's funny. I actually posted one, a picture of the install, like all the undergrounds and there are so many PVC <laughs> lines, right? Yeah. Like a substantial amount in a row. And everyone's like, well, if you have a leak, how do you even find that? Because, you know, as that's buried and you have, a, you know, 30 of them in a row, yeah. you know, so how do you even work through logistically just that aspect? Again, going back to an earlier question about, you know, just the protocol there. We pressurize all the plumbing initially so that if something gets hit or there's a problem, it's going to show itself before the pool gets filled. It's another reason it's frustrating that we get called back on so many leaks because we're the <laughs> only thing that's tested. They don't test anything else. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we, we start with the pressure test. And then there are uh, specialty companies that can find that leak with helium and stuff like that. In worst case scenarios, we get into that. But Now, what's amazing about your business, so, I mean, to be specialized, it's really important, you know, as, you know, most companies, they're, they're specialized. They understand, you know, their demographic, they understand their scope of work. This allows them to be successful, be profitable. And now you expanded, so you're still sp- specialized, but now you have another business, you've gone into the mechanical side, but we'll call it, you know, the residential plumbing side, you know, top out and Mm -hmm. trim. How, what are the similarities between the two companies or are there? So they're much different than I thought. You know, I have a partner in the J-Max mechanical side who's great. He's a lifetime plumber. He's taught me a lot. I thought it was going to be a lot closer, but it's a totally different ballgame. You look at how much pipe goes into a, uh, into like an underground on a house or even like a top out underground, the whole nine. I mean, what, 1,000 feet of pipe? We're putting like 6,000, 8,000 feet of pipe in a pool. So there's a ton more plumbing in a pool than there is in a house. Um, I mean, even if you added up all the pecs and supply and even vent, waste, everything, it would be much less than a pool, just like a normal backyard pool. It's mm-hmm. crazy. It's it, crazy. It is amazing how much plumbing goes in the pool and people don't realize as opposed to a house, even a custom house. But what is unique, you know, when you're working with a pool, you have a footprint, you, you know, it's been... Tr- it, it's been um, excavated, Doug, you know, you, you, you have a good idea of where the in-floor cleaning has to be, mm-hmm. right? Everything from that aspect, but on a house, what's really challenging, you may only have the stem walls and you got to be exact because all the interior walls are not installed. The right. slabs not board the framing. Yeah. And so you have to be dead on. So how, you know, is that, do you find it more complicated from a labor aspect to lay out plumbing of a house as opposed to a pool? It's more critical in a home for sure, especially if you got to hit wall like interior walls, like you said. 
we always do a ask for a wrap and check before they pour so we can go out like right before pour and make sure everything's where it needs to be. Um, I'm, I'm happy to say that we very, very not often do we have to move anything. But yeah, you're right. It's much more critical in a home. It's much different in a pool, whereas a pool, you might have three to six inches that you can hit like an in-floor head, for example. They don't have to be dead nuts. I mean, if you ask the in-floor company, they'd probably say yes, but three to six inches, no problem. Three to six inches in a house <laughs> and it's in the hallway. So yeah. that's a problem. Especially if they have a post-tension slab too, then it's oh, yeah. more uncomfortable, you know, trying to get that move. Yeah, then you start asking the builder to move the wall. You know, it would be cool. <laughs> this bathroom was a little bigger. Yeah, but we don't need that hallway. Just move it over that bedroom, you know? Yeah. From And then from the housing side, you know, do you find similarities just in the estimating and bidding process? You know, how was that learning experience, you know, just to understand how to properly estimate a house that maybe has seven bathrooms and handhelds and shower heads, you know, all the different car wash options in the shower, right? That yeah. are totally, you know, totally outside of the normal, you know, pool install. Yeah. So in it, what I found the big difference to be when bidding and, and invoicing jobs is in the pool side, we have almost like an a la carte menu. And it's really easy to go through it and go, does it have this? Yes. Does it have this? And and you just put it all together. On the other side, you know, just having an adding a bathroom isn't like adding a menu item. You got to figure out how far away is that bathroom? What What is the fixture count in that bathroom? You know, that kind of stuff. So it's definitely harder on the mechanical side. It takes us a lot longer to turn a bid around there. Yeah, and, and, and I just from my perspective, it's even more difficult too when you're doing a remodel or an addition, right? Yeah. And you have to figure out, well, well, you know, ideally maybe you camera where the sewer's at, you have to figure out a sewer connection, how far do I have to saw cut into the house? And then, you know, so there's a lot more complication on that side. And so, you know, how's that process been now? Do you feel confident in where you are now as a company and process on the mechanical side, you know, as you've already mastered the pool side? Yeah. Another thing that's interesting about mechanical, when we do a bid, let's say we miss on something. It's usually not such a big deal. Like let's say we missed on 40 feet of copper or we missed on, oh, we forgot that hall bath. It's really not that big of a price jump. Whereas like in the pools, if we forget something, that's a major issue yeah. because there's way more that goes into it. You know, uh, running an extra 10 feet of, of sewer line for us toilets, nothing. But try missing a pump on a pool. Yeah. <laughs> it's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's a painful lesson for sure. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, and then the other side from the residential, you know, ha has it become challenging now as you start seeing, you know, more tankless water heaters or customized trim? Do you handle the trim itself, the trim out? Or are, you, are your contractors purchasing the trim and you're doing install only? Uh, we do it both ways. I'd say the majority of the builders, they're select, they're having their interiors, uh, designers select and then they have it on site or they ship it to us for us to install. Um, but yeah, we, we get involved in that. A lot, of them, a lot of them use interior designers that are getting it before we even touch it. Yeah, most of ours, as I think about that, most of our designers, you know, it's very um, specific, right? Because the look of the house, so whether it be the sinks or even the water closets to the trim itself, you know, and, and a lot of times you're working with different vendors. You may have Kohler or Waterworks, you know, mm -hmm. Brizo. I mean, just so many different... So. From your side, do you have to take into consideration that aspect where, hey, I'm working with this brand on install that may have a different installation guide or manual as opposed to something else? I mean, how's that pickup time for your install crews? Or no manual. Or no manual. <laughs> when they get it on Amazon and yeah. it's like from some crazy. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, our guys that we have on that side are pretty well versed, you know, and the type of builders that we work for are all in the. Uh, I'm sorry, the custom space, they're all pretty much using the high-end good stuff. 
So um, we're getting a lot of experience with all that just to where we can get out there and, you know, you have already done that before, or maybe, you know, the roughing valve is exactly the same, whatever. So, so I'll have to get on my soapbox for a minute. You know, just asking that question, you mentioned the Amazon thing was yeah. triggered, you know, so early on, <laughs> early on in my career, we were doing a, a remodel. It was a friend of mine, a good friend of mine. And so I was just kind of helping him out. It wasn't really like a big AFT job. I was just helping out as a consultant and, you know, he, uh, with a lot of clients like budget sensitive. Right. And he, he had reached out. He said, Hey Brad, I want to get these, you know, these faucets and have them install my bathroom. And I said, Hey, you definitely have to go through our distribution warehouse. You know, this mm-hmm. is someone who we use, they're a distributor, they work with our vendors. He's like, Well, I found them on Amazon. I'm like, Don't do it, right? <laughs> <laughs> they're they're cheaper. I'm like, you're gonna save like twenty five dollars a fixture. Like it's really nothing. You have four of them, a hundred bucks at the end of the day, it's not a huge deal. So uh he didn't listen to my advice, of course. He goes and buys them on Amazon, uh, has the plumber come out, install them. And shockingly enough, all of them are bad and have issues or missing parts. And now he's like, Brad, what do I do? And I'm like, because now he's on his own. He has to return them. He has to call Amazon, figure that out, pay the plumber. to, And, and you know, countertops are in. So he has to come pay the, uh, the plumber to come take them out, you know, send them back and then get new ones and have the plumber come out. So now he's dealing with all these trip charges. So his savings of $100 end up costing like $450. That's so common. Yeah. And, and, and what I explained to him, and this, is, this has been a good learning experience for me because sometimes I'll have clients that, you know, I'll sit down and say, okay, Justin, your package for plumbing fixtures is going to be $25,000. And they'll be like, well, I can go buy these, all these pieces out on Amazon for twenty two, and I'll never budge. And it's one of those things where when you have a, a vendor you're working with or a, you know, a distributor they're going to warranty it. So they'll pay the plumber. They'll pay Justin. If he has to come out, service it, replace it, like that's all covered. It's no cost to the client. So there's value. And this goes back to your earlier conversation where you want to work with contractors that understand your value. Mm -hmm. And when we can deliver our value, communicate that to say, hey, this is the value you're going to, yeah, there may be a little bit more of a cost to go through a distributor. But you know, when you think about the hassle, the, the product, we know where it's coming from. It's not reused, refurbished. I mean, this is a known entity. You know, there's value and it's up to us to explain and walk the client through that. Yeah. And that's one of those mistakes they make one time and never again. Because I imagine <laughs> that co- that client that had to do that was probably like, this was so not worth it. Not worth it at all because you think of the time lost and the cost and it's just, yeah. it, you, you know, f- thankful to him, you know, now I have this great example where anytime <laughs> a client says, Brad, I'm going to purchase my own product. Nope. You know, it's easier for me to push back and call say, this, this is our protocol. Yeah. <laughs> call this guy, my buddy. He'll, he'll, he'll set you straight. Yeah. So what do you take most pride in, you know, as your company now, looking back 10 years, building through the recession? I mean, you're what, 11 years in now? Yeah. So what do you take most pride in where you are today? I think I take pride in that um, we've built a standard at JMAX, and I, ha- I have guys who are enthusiastic about embracing it. I think like um, the team that we have is amazing, and it's just really good to know that not that I have to take my eye off the ball, but I can count on these guys to make the decisions that I would make. You know, they have the same values as me and, and they've learned that. And that's what I take the most pride in is that they can take that and translate it into the field. So what advice would you give to someone that ha- wants to have a rocking beard like you have? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, just That's money. I'm just going to say for you guys to see the post or watch YouTube, like it's... Thanks. Perseverance, you know, and get yourself some just for men beard dye, you know, because I get white patches in there. Do you in? Yeah, it's pretty rough. But uh, see, for me, and and not to take this off topic, but I get so itchy. Like, I don't even know how you get to the stage where it's like. So I had a hard time with that at first. There's a there is a threshold that you reach, and it's not itchy anymore. But the first, I want to say, the first three months were terrible. Yeah. Um, but then after that, it's just 
smooth flying. So what's upcoming and exciting? I mean, for J Max and everything you're working on now. So we got a couple big projects that we're working on, which are obviously exciting. The Shark Tank job is, you know, moving into phase two here shortly. Um, but I guess the most exciting thing that I have going on and what I'm most um, excited to put out there is we have a, an academy that uh, teaches pool plumbing. And it basically will take somebody from not knowing anything all the way through being an expert level plumber over a certain course of time, of course. And then we have a module in there that pool companies could put their superintendents through that so they would understand what do we look for when we're doing quality control and, and those types of things. So I think there's something for everybody there. And uh, I think obviously bringing more people into the trade educated would be amazing for us. And I'll get back to the trade aspect here, but what I like that you're doing, you know, one thing is, and I look for this for my supers, I mean, the more educated my super is on all the trades, on all the installs, on all the product, the more knowledgeable they can be and the better value they can be to you, right? Who's right. a partner of ours. And, you know, so that education side for just the construction aspect has to be valuable because now they understand really your scope of work and what's going to make you successful. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, having them know what we're looking for, if they can be looking at the same thing, it's like, a, it's like having two sets of eyes on everything, obviously. And, and, and I love that you're doing the vocational side, you know, for those that want to get into the industry. And it's funny because my wife and I were just speaking and she's like, are you anti-college? Because like <laughs> lately in life, you know, I actually went to college. I did construction management. But I've seen, especially in our field, right? There, and not just our field, but as a, a, a nation, as a country, you know, and I had Kayleen McCabe on to talk about this, is that there's always this pressure for all kids that they have to go to college. And you right. can't be successful unless you've been to college and have a degree. And they don't realize that college isn't for everyone. You know, I, there are certain professions that you have to have a college degree. But someone such as yourself, right, Justin, you've built an incredibly successful company, a successful career. Now you're educating where people can go into the trades and have a great living, have a lot of fun, have hands-on, run a business. I mean, it's very technical, but at the same time, very educational. And so I love that you're, you know, giving back in that way to give people a direct avenue into, into the field, right? It's cool to see that, you know, when we first got into the trades as kids, it was kind of looked down on, you know, these guys are just grimy dudes that can't, can't do school or whatever. And it's funny to see it change now, the, the money that everybody's making in the trades is insane. And I'll, I'll actually tell you a funny story. I just, I just told Greg when I got here. So I drive a pretty nice car. I got a Porsche that I drive and I'm at Safeway the other night and I back it in and at the end of the parking lot and I go in and I get my groceries and I, I'm headed back out and I see a guy looking at it. He's looking at it hard, like, oh, that's cool or whatever. I set my groceries down and he can tell that I'm about to pop the bonnet. And he goes, hey, that's a really nice car, man. That's sick. I'm like, thanks. Like, what do you do? You know, a plumber. <laughs> and he like took a second, like blank stare and he goes, you do like stocks and stuff too? Like, no, nah, <laughs> man, just stocks. a plumber. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a, like one of those. Are you Instagram... a hedge, hedge fund operator? Yeah. He probably thought I was into crypto or whatever, <laughs> whatever all these kids are doing. But it's funny because, you know, I think the idea before was like, if you're in the trades, like you're probably driving a pickup truck. But I know a ton of guys who are successful in the trades that, you know, in their private lives are killing it. It's cool. Yeah. It's great advice because, you know, there's a lot of opportunity and, it is interesting. I remember when I was doing college construction management, I went back to San Diego where I'm from and there were some kids I played basketball with who I went to high school and they're like, you're going to college for construction? Like what? <laughs> like it made no sense to them, right? But the reality is you don't realize that, yeah, you can have a great career. And it, it, what I do love about social media now is that, you know, you can showcase this, Justin, like you're showcasing the video and the thought process and the, the technical side behind plumbing and hydraulics. And, you know, I can showcase the end product and, you know, that shark tank. And so, 
it does create more of a desire, which is what we need because we need more people in the industry. Absolutely. I'm sure you need some good people. Yeah. I would love to have a, a good resource right now to grab guys. <laughs> so where can our listeners find you? So obviously we're on Instagram real big. Um, I do have a TikTok. Um, obviously our website as well. Um, you can go to www.jmaxcompanies.com. You can find both of our divisions there and check us out. Well, I will recommend that all of you give Justin a follow on social media. Check out his website, all of his uh, projects, so you can follow along and see the Shark Tank project and some of ours that we're doing. He does amazing work, and I really appreciate coming on today, Justin. Thanks a lot for having me. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.